Hosea chapter 61. And this morning, I'm going to read the first four verses and then the last two verses. So Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4, and then verses 10 and 11. And this now is a reading of God's word. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They, verse 4, will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And then now down to verse 10. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. And that is God's word. Let's pray. Our great God, now as we spend some time looking at this passage, we pray that you would open up our hearts, our eyes, our ears to experience, to see, to understand what this passage teaches, and most importantly, that through it, we would encounter Jesus Christ, our living hope. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been with us for the past few weeks here at Reality Church London, we've been in an Advent series looking at the book of Isaiah. And the reason we've been doing that is because Isaiah was one of Israel's ancient prophets who, with faith, looked down the corridor of time to see the promised Messiah, to see the one that would come and bring God's salvation into the world. And so each week we've been looking at different passages from the book of Isaiah that tell us something about Christmas, that tell us something about Jesus and his arrival and what that meant for the world. And today we come to Isaiah 61. What's really interesting about this particular passage is it plays a very significant role in the life and the ministry of Jesus. At the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, when he was just kicking off his, you might say, career as a Messiah, Jesus went into a synagogue, and as a visiting rabbi, he was invited to read scripture and to offer a comment. And so here's Jesus visiting this synagogue, and when they say, would you like to read and share, they hand him the scroll of Isaiah. And Jesus unrolls the scroll, and you can imagine a big desk, and he unrolls a very long scroll, 
And the text says he finds this passage. And the passage he found was Isaiah 61, the verses that we just read. And Jesus reads those verses, and then he rolls the scroll back up, he hands it to the attendant, he sits down, and he looks at the audience and he says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. End of sermon. It's a mic drop moment. Jesus is saying, the one that Isaiah talked about, the one that Isaiah was looking forward to, that's me. I'm the fulfillment of this passage. I'm the one that Isaiah was anticipating. It's all pointing to me. And so we, following Jesus' own claim, Jesus' own declaration, are able to look at Isaiah 61 as a powerful, beautiful description of what Jesus came into the world to do. This passage is about Jesus and what's made possible for us and for our world because of Christmas, because Emmanuel, God came down, God with us in the person of Jesus that we encounter at Christmas. And so there's few places that I think was exciting to be looking at on this Sunday before Christmas as this one here in Isaiah 61. And so for our time together today, I want to give you a simple kind of brief meditation on this passage and what it means for Christmas. And specifically what we're going to see today, this passage tells us what Jesus came into the world to do, how he would do it, and what it can mean for you. So what Jesus came into the world to do, how he would accomplish or do that, and what it can mean in your life, what it can mean for you today. So first, what is it that Jesus came into the world to do? And that's what verses one through four of this passage are about. And as I read them, I hope that you saw they're actually breathtaking. This is stunning description, poetic, beautiful description of what Jesus, what the Messiah would come into the world to accomplish. Things like giving a crown of beauty instead of ashes, bringing good news and freedom, stunning things. And we could actually spend weeks and weeks looking at these four verses. But this morning, all I want to do is give you a summary. If we look at verses one through four as a description of what Jesus came into the world to do, what do we see? And here's what we see. High-level summary, Jesus came into the world to proclaim, to exchange, to comfort, and to restore. That's what Jesus came, that's what verses 1 through 4 say. Jesus came into this world to proclaim, to exchange, to comfort, and to restore. So let me, with you, unpack those ideas for just a moment. First, Jesus came into the world to proclaim. It's there in our passage, verse 1. To proclaim good news to the poor. A little bit farther down in verse 1. To proclaim freedom for the captives. Verse 2. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the day of vengeance of our God. In other words, the first thing Jesus came to do was to make a proclamation. To say something. Now, a proclamation is different than ordinary speech. If I walk into my living room and I see Michelle and Esme there, I do not say, I have a proclamation. I am going to church now. That's not a a proclamation. 
A proclamation is a statement made by someone with authority to make public something of significance or importance. A proclamation, then, is news. It's an announcement that changes the reality. The most famous proclamation in world history is probably the Emancipation Proclamation. If you know anything about American history, with the president's utterance, people were free because of that declaration, that proclamation. In other words, it's a statement of news that changes reality. And the text says that when Jesus came into the world, he came proclaiming. He claimed declaring good news, bringing a message about a changed world and a changed reality. In other words, he did not come with advice. He didn't come with suggestions. If you want to know God or if you want to live differently or have a more fulfilling life, here's all the things that you should do. That was not the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus was proclamatory. He was declaring, this is what's been done for you. Proclaiming. Second, he came to exchange. If you look down with me at verse 3, Isaiah very vividly describes how the Messiah would exchange hardness for healing. So look with me. I'll read the verse there. Verse 3, to give to those who are grieving a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. In other words, precisely at the point of pain, the Messiah Jesus has come to bring healing and renewal. Think with me just as one example there about this bit at the top, a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Some of you, when you hear the phrase ashes, depending on your church background, you may think of Ash Wednesday, where people walk around with a sign on their foreheads covered in ash. And that's a symbol that goes all the way back to the Old Testament, in which people who were grieving, people who were humiliated, people who were saddened, would cover their forehead with ashes. It was a symbol of mourning and sadness. And Isaiah is saying that when the Messiah comes, the people who had their lives covered with grief, that's going to be taken away. And in its place, in the exact place of what was previously a sign of grief, now a crown of beauty is going to be given. In the very places of pain in your life, Jesus wants to bring healing. That's what the passage is saying. Where there was mourning, there will be joy. Where there was despair, there will be praise. In other words, he's come to bring total reversal in exchange. Proclaim exchange, also comfort. It's there at the end of verse 2, to comfort all who mourn. To give comfort is to be with someone in their suffering. You know, comfort isn't telling someone what to do or how to fix their problem. Comfort is just being with someone in their sadness. We think of the book of Job. If you remember the story of Job, Job had lost everything. His life very quickly became a total disaster. And he had a couple of friends who came. And for the first few days, they were simply sitting with him in his sadness. They didn't say anything. They didn't offer. They just sat with him. And then after a few days went up, they got busy and tired. So they started talking. 
and they started to say to Job, here's what you've done wrong, and here's how you can fix your problems, and here's how you can make things better. And eventually, Job was fed up, and he said, you are miserable comforters. Because what do you want when you're in suffering and sadness? You want a friend to be with you. You don't want analysis. You want presence. Jesus is the Messiah who comes to be with his people in their sorrow and suffering. To provide comfort for all those who mourn. He doesn't come just to fix. He comes to be with you. No matter what you're going through and how dark it feels. Becky Pippert, in one of her books, writing about the importance of this idea that Jesus has come to bring comfort, says this. It would be very difficult to trust a God who had not suffered. Who didn't know what sorrow is. But what we have in Jesus? A man of sorrows. This is God's son who is boldly and unashamedly showing his scars and speaking words of comfort to all who are hurting. Proclaiming, exchanging, comforting, and then lastly, he came to renew, to restore. Look at verse 4, and some of you, this is a word you need to hear today. Verse 4, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Do you hear what Isaiah is saying? When Jesus the Messiah comes, what's going to happen? Renewing, rebuilding, restoring. Even the places, the parts of your life, it says, that have been long devastated. It's been like this for generations. The places that you think, oh, there could never be healing there. There could be never a change. This is always going to be difficult and broken. Even in those places, Jesus says, I can bring renewal. I can bring healing. In the places that you least expect it. That's what Jesus came to the world to do. To comfort, to proclaim good news. To say reality has changed because of what I'm about to accomplish. To renew and restore and rebuild. To bring comfort. That's who Jesus is. That's what he came to do. But at this point, we should ask, well, how would he do it? That all sounds nice, and I'd like that, but how can we trust it? How can we know that this kind of healing is actually possible? And for that, we have to go back to Luke 4. Do you remember how we began the sermon? I was telling you that Jesus started off his ministry by reading from this passage in Isaiah. Well, what's interesting, when you read that part of Jesus' ministry in Luke 4 is that he read Isaiah 61, but he left out one sentence. There was actually a part of Isaiah 61 that Jesus purposefully omitted. And that's the key to the whole story. The way in which we can know that Jesus will bring healing and joy and restoration and renewal in our lives is because of what he didn't say when he read this passage as recounted to us in Luke 4. So let me tell you what it was. Jesus is reading along in the book of Isaiah, and he says, I've come to bring good news to the poor. I've come to proclaim freedom for the captives. And Jesus goes on to say, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he stops. And he does not read the next sentence to proclaim the day of vengeance of our God. 
In other words, Jesus says, I've come to proclaim God's favor, full stop. And he leaves out the bit about vengeance. He leaves out the bit about judgment. And we say, why? Why would you do that? And that's the key to the whole story. Why is it that when Jesus was saying, I'm the one who's come to fulfill these promises, why did he leave out the part about God's vengeance and judgment? And the answer is because Jesus in his first coming came not bringing judgment, he came to bear judgment. Jesus came not bearing a sword, but to be pierced by one. The message of Christmas is that Jesus came into the world not to bring vengeance, but to suffer on behalf of people. He came to accomplish something for those who would trust in him. And that's how we can know, because of what Jesus has done, that we can actually experience his renewal in his life. So, for example, think about it. Proclamation. Jesus on the cross as he was dying. Jesus as he stood in your place, proclaimed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In other words, as Jesus died, the word from the cross was not a word of judgment. It was a word of grace. Because Jesus on the cross was dying for your sin. He was standing in your place. The word of the cross is not just a word of proclamation. It's also a word of exchange. It's stunning, isn't it, to think about? That as Jesus was on his way to die, he was given a crown of thorns. I mean, he who was the most perfect, most beautiful person to ever live didn't get a crown of beauty. He was given a crown of thorns, a symbol of mockery and pain. And why? So that all who trust in him could have a crown of beauty. To know that ultimately there would be healing and restoration in your life. Not only did the word of the cross proclaim forgiveness, do we see that exchange, but the message of the cross is comfort. That we have a God who's not indistant to suffering, but who actually experienced it himself. That Jesus was willing to actually endure grief and loneliness so that in your grief and loneliness, you would know you're never alone. Jesus, as he was praying the night before he died, was talking to his friends and he said, guys, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of sorrow. I mean, think about the hardest moment in your life, the moment where you most needed somebody. Well, that's where Jesus was times a billion. And he says to his friends, could you pray with me? Could you stay up? And they all fall asleep. Jesus is alone. Why? So that in our suffering, we'll never need to be fully alone. He's the perfect comforter. And last... Because of what Jesus has accomplished, we can know that renewal is possible. That there's no part of your life, there's no brokenness in your story that is too much for God's grace. And we know that because of the resurrection. If Jesus was actually able to face death and beat it, and come out on the other side with resurrection life, then that means there's no brokenness that's too much for him. There's no darkness that his light can't penetrate into. And so what we have in the life of Jesus is the ultimate assurance that when Jesus has taken hold of your life, you can experience this remarkable transformation that you can know beauty instead of ashes and joy instead of mourning. So what does this mean for us as we 
prepare to close and to come to a time of response. Here's what it means, and it's what we've been saying all December. There is a joy that's available for the people of God that isn't dependent on your circumstances. That's what all this means. There's a joy that's possible that isn't the same thing as just having a happy and a pleasant life. And for many of us right now, that's really good news because there's not a lot around us to bring joy. (laughs) What Jesus is declaring, what Isaiah is saying, is there's a joy that's possible for the people of God that can be with you no matter what you're facing. And so as we close, I want to just give you three thoughts about why that's true. If Jesus is the promised Messiah, if he's come to proclaim and exchange and comfort and to renew, this joy is possible for you. Why? Three things. First, because the bad things in your life, they can't ultimately hurt you. Now, let me be clear, there are bad things in this world. And there are hard, bad things in your life. There are seasons of suffering. There are moments of injustice. There are all kinds of experiences we have that reflect a world that's not the way it's meant to be. Bad things happen. But if you're a Christian, if the promised Messiah of Isaiah 61 is the one that you hide yourself in, then friends, I can say to you, nothing bad can ultimately hurt you but ultimately will be like what God says in the book of 1 Peter, a refiner's fire to make you more beautiful. And you say, well, Bijan, that, that sounds nice, but how can I trust that? I mean, there's some real hardship and sorrow in my life, I know. And the only reason I can say that is because of the resurrection. If Jesus was actually able to defeat death, then that means there's nothing that ultimately can't be worked together for God's glory and ultimately for our good. That doesn't mean there aren't hard things, but it does mean that nothing bad can ultimately hurt you. Not only that, but also the good things that you have, they can never be taken away. You know, sometimes we lose our spiritual sight and the things around us become the most dominant. But... When we gather in church, we're encouraged to recover the eyes of faith and to realize that the best things in this world, they're already yours if you're a Christian. That you can have your sin forgiven. You can stand in a right relationship with God in which you're fully seen and fully loved. You're actually, somebody really knows you and still loves you. You get to be part of a family, the church. You have Jesus, who promises by his spirit to be with you always, always praying for you. One author put it this way, Jesus now always intercedes for you at the throne of grace. Consider so great a person as the eternal son of God, who also made the world. This is your Lord and master, and he is not ashamed to call you friend. He has come to be with you, to embrace you, and to allow himself to be embraced by you. That's a stunning thought. That not only does (laughs) Jesus come to us by the power of his spirit and say, let me give you a hug, but he actually makes himself vulnerable to you. That you get to be in a relationship with, I mean, these are the things that are yours. Now again, we need the eyes of faith to see them. But for those who can, the best things that are possible in this world are already yours. 
And third, not only can the bad things not ultimately hurt you, the good things are already yours, but third, the best things are yet to come. For those who are Christians, there's a promise that the best is yet to be. And for me to even spend time now trying to describe the glories that await you, it would be to lessen them. I don't have the words to describe the glory of what's coming in the kingdom of God. But we know if Jesus rose from the dead, everything sad is going to come untrue and the best is yet to be. So brothers and sisters, this now as we come to prayer and the time of response, this is a time to encounter Jesus, to encounter the one that Isaiah looked forward to, the one who came at Christmas, who beat death and rose again, and who offers himself to us today to be with us in our sorrow and to bring life out of death. Let's pray as we come to him now. God, thank you so much for the promise of Isaiah 61. And so in this season where we celebrate, we think about what it means that Jesus has come into our world. We pray for faith to see him come into our hearts today. We pray for his proclamation to bring freedom to those right now who are in bondage, that you'd free us. We pray for comfort where we're sad and grieving. We pray for an exchange that you would take away our despair our sadness and our mourning, and that you would give joy and life. Lord, we pray that you'd restore what has been ruined, the things that are broken that you would rebuild. Jesus, right now, by the power of your spirit, do that work in us, do that work through us. For your glory, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.